Welcome to Junior L's and Now What? Studies episode 184. So moving on with the countries, I have now finished with North America, sharing what I've learned thus far anyway. Now I've moved on to Central America. In the first country, I'm trying to go north to south, which is a little difficult because the countries don't quite line up quite so symmetrically once you get into Central America. But for all intents and purposes, this one seemed to fit the bill. The country in question is Belize. And when you look on the map of Belize, it is quite small geographically. In population, it is also quite small. There is less than a million people living in that country. And to me, that's just mind-boggling to have an entire country with less than a million people. I I just think about uh, the United States where I live and the number of people who live in the country versus the different types of infrastructure you need to have to not only exist as a country, but to exist in conjunction with other countries, with you know uh, the ability to have commerce, to have cross countries, uh, you know economics, trade, um, space exploration. If you wanted to do that, intercountry exploration, undersea exploration, um, technological advancements, all of that kind of stuff. Your population impacts that. Now, obviously, at some point, the population becomes so great that it may have a reverse effect on things. Like if you look at India and China, their population is so incredibly huge. I don't know that the size of the country is necessarily having a positive impact on those various different logistics. Um, I could be wrong. I haven't gotten to them to study yet. But having a population of less than a million just seems so interesting to me. Um, According to my notes... They got their independence from Great Britain in 1981, which is so interesting to me as well, um, considering how in the 1900s, a lot of uh, countries that were reigned over by uh, Great Britain uh, started gaining their independence, especially after the 1950s, Australia, Canada, uh, Hong Kong, uh, and other various uh, areas. Some of them weren't necessarily countries. But um, Belize was one of those. Uh, I'm not entirely sure if Great Britain still has a foothold in them. Uh, Like if you look at Great Britain right now, they have a king. And that king has influence over other countries still, like Canada and Australia and others. Um, I'm not sure if they do over Belize or not. That would be interesting. But anyways, 1981. So um, that's in my lifetime. I know that ages me a little bit, but that's the truth. Another thing that's interesting about Belize is uh, they, you know, a lot of the the countries in Central America, as I've been studying them, and I'm almost through all the countries actually in my studies so far, is there's been a lot of conflict between the countries over the years. Some of it is an influence from uh, the natives. Um, because obviously there were people here before the Spaniards and the English came. And uh, a lot of those people obviously had issues with these invaders. So that's where some of the conflicts comes in. Some of it comes in from the invaders themselves, the Spaniards and the great and the Britons and, and others. Um, some of it was actually created by the United States ourselves. Some of it by, you know, Mexico and others. Uh, some of it is by, uh, the, the drug lords and other various different organizations too. Uh, well, this particular one seems to be unique even among the Central American countries, and that is that uh, the neighboring country to Belize, Guatemala, apparently Guatemala just feels like Belize is one of them. Apparently, when you look at Guatemalan maps, 
that they actually sometimes list Belize as part of their country. And it's created, obviously, some conflict over the years. And for a country with such a small population compared to their neighboring countries, that's got to be really hard and probably very scary. Uh, I know as I've been doing my studies of the Central American nations, um, they've asked for a lot of foreign support, uh, organizations like the United Nations and other different groups like them, to come in and help adjudicate or enforce some things, which sometimes works and obviously sometimes does not. Uh, as I understand it, um, the, the two countries have sort of made peace, but it sounds pretty volatile to me. So I'm curious to know how that's all going to play out. Uh, Guatemala does have a military of sorts. I believe it's more of a national guard than anything because they are a country that does um, border along the... the um, they have you know, oceanfront property, if you will, on their east side there. Uh, I don't have a map directly in front of me, so hopefully I'm not misstating that. Um, another thing that's interesting about them is not unlike other countries or areas that are near oceans, um, they get severely impacted by hurricanes. And apparently in Guatemala, at some point in their not-too-distant past, got hit by a hurricane that was so powerful that it actually forced them to move their capital city to a different location, which I know also in and of itself isn't hugely uncommon to have that move. But because of a natural disaster, I found that very interesting. So that is actually all the notes that I have on Belize. Uh, I don't know that it's because there was so little information on them. I think it was more, I was probably tired and just didn't take a lot of notes. Um, but anyways, interesting, uh, interesting little country, uh, hopefully not being offensive to anyone in, in from or around Belize who uh, may be listening to this. My suspicion is no one from Belize is, but you know, take it or leave it. Um, because this took a little less time to cover Belize and because my notes were so short, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about my other great passion, and that is astronomy. Uh, I've mentioned recently a little bit of information about Mercury, the, the planet closest to the sun. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the second planet closest to the sun, the planet of Venus, which a lot of times people refer to as like the sister planet to Earth. I'm not entirely sure why that's used. I know the planet size for size is similar, um, but there's it's kind of where it ends. Um, the volume of differences certainly outweigh the similarities between the two. Um, here's, here's a good example. So on Earth, it takes approximately 365, it's actually 365.25 days to orbit the sun. Venus, it's 224 days to orbit the sun. Now, putting in that uh, to one step further, um, Earth's rotation on its axis is approximately 24 hours. That's not precise. It's off by a few seconds, um, but that's approximately how long it takes for the Earth to spin on its axis. That means that when it rotates around the sun, it is spun on its axis 365-ish day uh, times. Okay, so that's kind of how the math works out. Well, back to Venus... 224 days to orbit the sun, 243 of Earth's days to rotate on its axis, which is the longest in all of all the planets in the solar system, which means when Venus has orbited around the sun, it has not actually spun on its axis a full rotation yet. Can you imagine how long the day and night is there? Um, putting it in perspective, you could be on Venus for over a year on the, let's say, the dark side of Venus before you would see the sun. Uh, and then the same thing would be that case for another year. 
So uh, it's very interesting from that standpoint. There are no known satellites uh, or moons or anything orbiting Venus uh, like Mercury. Whereas those are the only two planets that are like that. Even Mars has tiny little moons orbiting it, two of them. And Earth obviously has the one plus some other, um, well, anomalous things that we'll get to another point. But uh, but Venus doesn't have any. Another thing that's interesting is that Venus rotates in the opposite direction. So most of the planets, not all of them, rotate a specific way. Venus, for whatever reason, wants to be different, and it spins the opposite direction. Um even though Mercury is the is the closest planet to the sun, Venus is actually the hottest planet in our solar system. Sometimes Mars gets that because it's red, um, but it's not true. It's actually quite a bit colder than Earth and the other planets closer to the sun. Uh, but Venus is the hottest, but not because of its proximity to the sun strictly. The other reason why it's the hottest is actually because of the greenhouse effect. Um, I, if you, if you study up on the greenhouse effect, basically the very simple terms is there's so much cloud cover surrounding the atmosphere of Venus that anything on the, in the atmosphere or on the surface that wants to reflect up hits those, that cloud cover and actually reflects back down again. And that perpetuates over time, which basically means the surface of Venus is just baking, uh, some uh, astronomers refer to the surface of Venus as literal hell um, because it is so desolate and so hot. Um, the, the structures on it are just, I don't know, sharp and, and appalling. I, I guess there's still quite a bit of volcanic activity, which actually makes it worse on Venus. Um, 1991 was the first map of planet, um, but it was pictured earlier than that. From what I understand, because of acid rain and other toxic things going on in the atmosphere, anything that we have landed on Venus does not survive for very long. Whereas if you look at Mars, which granted the atmosphere of Mars is actually pretty mild comparatively with the take out the sandstorms and the fact that it's cold and the fact that there's no oxygen, etc. Um, uh, Mars is actually pretty simple to live in. It's, it's more... Uh, as neutral than even Earth is. But Venus is so toxic, it destroys everything. It's got, right now, they're saying approximately 167 volcanoes um, over 62 miles across. Um, another strange thing is there's no tectonic plates. So one of the things that keeps Earth in constant motion is the tectonic plates. So we have volcanoes and tectonic plates that kind of work to constantly be shifting the Earth. Um, apparently, Venus does not have tectonic plates, and so the way the core's pressure of Venus basically alleviates itself is through volcanic activity, which again is exasperated by the greenhouse effect. Um, another weird thing that I don't think they've quite understood, this is just in my notes, is it's got an unknown reflective ice-like substance on top of the higher mountains. They don't believe it's ice, but it's something reflective. So who knows? Maybe it's diamonds, but it's just one of those anomalous things. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to read this note of mine, and it may not make sense because I didn't pre-read these before the podcast, so hopefully it does make sense. Uh, the note says, Dynamo is Earth's way of producing magnetic field. Venus used ionosphere and solar winds. Um, so basically what my note I think is trying to convey is how the planet protects itself from, um, space and from the sun. Um, the earth uses its, uh, you know, the, the dynamo, which 
it basically, um, from what I understand, it's the way our core spins creates some of that magnetic field around the Earth, which in turn makes it so our atmosphere doesn't leak out, and it helps protect us from things like solar rays. Um, Venus apparently doesn't use that. It uses its ionosphere and solar winds, which doesn't exactly grok. So I, <laughs> I think my notes are either misleading or incomplete. Um, they also refer to it as a super rotator, which I think is more referring to the atmosphere because it is so volatile. Uh, so if you want to know one of the worst places you could live on in our solar system under certain conditions, Venus would definitely be one of them. Um, very, very, very bad place to live. Uh, Belize would be more pleasant. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, that is it for today. And in the immortal words of my youngest son, Superman, Smile, be happy, and remember that you're worth it. Thanks for listening.